Micah 3, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. You may be seated. That took a whole minute and 40 seconds. That's wonderful. Yeah, let me pray for us. Uh, pray for God's guidance and assistance to understand His Word and to live it. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask that You may open up the, the eyes of our hearts to receive Your truth today. Father, this room is small, and we wonder, can it contain the glories of God? And the truth is, it can't. But you created us with a soul that can comprehend, that can receive, that can understand and receive your glory. So now would you enlarge our souls to see and behold our glorious God in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today's the conclusion to the introduction of Ephesians. Right? This is Paul's great, great introduction to this letter. 14 verses. It's a sentence without a single period. In the original language, it's one long sentence. Can you imagine? Right? With uh, all the, the abilities of language and word, he is trying to say, this is, this is a huge exclamation point, right? He's trying to say this is important. He's crying out with praise. Listen to me, little kids and older kids. I'm just going to kind of go through what this text is about. Okay, look at me. Let me just affirm some truths that Paul affirms. You have been chosen in Christ by God before you were even born. And the Bible tells us once in His hands, never can you be snatched out of it. That means your relationship with God is forever secure in Christ. You guys listening? This is specifically for you guys. Yeah? So God has chosen you before even you were born. Christ has died for you. 
He has redeemed you with His blood. Do you know what that means? That means He bought you from slavery to what? Freedom from what? Sin and hell. And it cost Him His life. So you're, you're, you're forgiven of all your sins. You're forgiven and before God you are accepted in Christ. And thirdly, He has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a seal that you are indeed saved, that you are indeed His. How many of you guys, in your best of times, kind of like God? You kind of think about Him. You kind of want to live for Him. You kind of feel bad when you sin against Him. Do you ever feel that? That's proof that you have the Holy Spirit within you. And if you have the Holy Spirit within you, that's proof that God's promises will come true for you. Make sense? We're good? That's as simple as I can make it. It's pretty, it's pretty difficult. All right? Good. Now for the rest of us. And you guys too. This is by no means an opportunity for you to shut your ears now. Try to understand as much as you can. Again, this is the introduction to the conclusion. Conclusion to the introduction, what I meant. Paul starts off verse 3 with these words. Blessed be the God. Blessed be the God. It's an expression of praise. What you have from verses 3 to 14 is praise. Praise is an expression of pleasure and awe, right? We praise when we find pleasure in something. When we find something to be awesome, we praise. Something about the truths that Paul is about to lay out for us inspires such pleasure within Paul's soul. It inspires such awe that quite literally he explodes in a flurry of praise that doesn't even stop to catch a breath. It's one long sentence. I can't help but wonder if these truths have the same effect on us. By God's grace, the more and more I read and meditate upon this rapturous introduction, the more my heart begins to warm up to praise. But again, not as much as it should. I believe these truths set Paul's heart on fire because he understood the true weight of them. Because he understood these were the truths that the entirety of his being pointed to, that all of his experiences attested to, that all of his longings testified to. He understood that these truths were the eternal origin to the echoes he's been hearing all his life. He understood that these truths were the eternal origin, the source to the echoes he's been hearing all his life life. Now imagine with me an impossibly complicated maze of caves underneath the earth that stretches for miles, thousands of miles upon thousands of miles. Your dearest friends are hopelessly lost within. They are struggling to get out, yet they are faced with one dead end after another. And with every dead trail, they fall more deeper and deeper into despair. Some even contemplating that there really is no way out. That maybe their existence is truly confined to the cold, dark walls of the caves. But you, 
You're standing at the foot of the exit with open air before you, with warm sunlight on your face, gorgeous blue skies, beautiful vegetation all around, sights, smells, and sounds that you only dreamed of when you were lost in the cave. What do you do? Don't you turn around and yell at the top of your lungs? It's here! I'm here! Over here! There really is an outside. And it's beautiful. But as you yell, your voice bounces off the walls of the caves. And within the, the complex, complicated inner workings of the caves, the only things your friends hear are echoes bouncing off the walls. Echoes of a better place. Echoes of a beautiful sky. Echoes of the ethereal smell of blossoming flowers. Echoes of the warmth of the sun. Echoes of crisp, open air. Now I believe... We're all lost in this dark, dark cave called the world. And God graciously yells out to us his existence, his love, his grace, his glory. And we hear echoes of it every day, but we can't quite trace it. We can't quite determine from which direction the voice comes. We are constantly bombarded with the echoes of heaven, echoes of salvation, echoes of ultimate purpose, Echoes of something greater. Can you imagine the joy, the indescribable elation that would be yours if you finally determined the source of all the echoes? That you could finally get out of that cave? How excited you would be? The truths here within, from verses 3 to 14, inspired such elation in Paul. Because he's discovered the eternal origin, the eternal source of all those echoes. The eternal origin, my dear friends, is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were always the source. He is the end to which all of our deep-seated longings and desires point to. Now, it's a difficult thing, right? Um, you come to church, you hear the Bible, you go to Bible study, you read the Bible, and we feel there's such a disconnect between what we hear, what we read, what we experience on Sunday, and our lives, and our experiences. But that simply is not true. I definitely believe, because God created us, because He created, fashioned, and molded us for a certain, specific, distinct purpose, that we carry around with us every day echoes of eternity. We hear it. It reverberates in our hearts. We know, deep-seated, it's there. And Paul, or God through Paul in this text, is telling us the origin. So you can trace it back to God. So let's look at this passage again. It speaks of God's absolute sovereignty. right? I split up the sermon into three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about God the Father. This passage speaks of God's absolute, ultimate sovereignty. He has predestined us. He has chosen us according to His will, according to His purpose, and according to His plan. 
there was, nor is there ever going to be, nor will there ever be any glitch, any hiccup, or, or any swerving off course when it comes to God's singular will and purpose and plan, namely to bring Himself glory. He's not going to swerve from it. Nothing takes Him by surprise. He is absolutely in control of all things. As we learned last week, there is no one more passionate for the glory of God than God. And as such, He has specifically, distinctly, and carefully molded and fashioned us for the express purpose of bringing Him glory. You and I were made, fashioned, sculpted, built, whatever other words there is to to describe a Creator meticulously, purposefully designing us. It's for a specific purpose. It's for His glory. To bring Him glory. This is the teleological truth, meaning this is the end all. This is the purpose. This is the ultimate cause. The purpose of all things, including you and I, is the glory of God. What is manifested clear in this text is that God is richly deserving of praise for His glory. He is infinitely worthy of glory. And what I am trying to convey is the truth that we have been fashioned, we have been wired for such glory giving. You see, again, what I want to make clear is there is an undeniable connection between who you are, how you live, how you think, how you desire, and the truths of Scripture. There is no disconnect. It is absolutely consistent. As foreign and as disconnected you may feel that your daily experience is to scriptures and the word of God and the truths of God, it simply is not true. I would argue that the truths conveyed in scriptures are thoroughly consistent with our everyday experiences in life. I believe that a careful study of how we as people are wired will yield a confirmation of all the truths that Scriptures teaches us. I believe that we all live in the echoes of eternity. And if only we would discern the echoes, we will begin to know its eternal origins. You see, we all have a deep, 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 inescapable longing for the ultimate beauty, don't we? For the ultimate greatness, for the ultimate glory, These longings echo that God is the ultimate beauty, that God is the ultimate greatness, and God is the ultimate glory. But like those friends lost in the cave, we all have a very difficult time trying to distinguish the direction of the origin or the source of the echoes. The problem with us isn't that we search for something infinitely glorious. The problem is that we are misdirected in our search. We try to find it in the model, or actor, or singer, or sports player, or band, or team, or in our teachers, coaches, presidents. We so desperately want these people to be perfectly glorious that we may have someone to worship. This desperation is most evident in the anticipation of finally going to the concert to hear your favorite band. The anticipation of finally going to the game to see your favorite player and team. 
the anticipation of going to watch your favorite director's latest film, the anticipation of seeing in person your hero. But what inevitably happens? The band sounds horrible life, right? You've had the, the benefits of studio, sound enhancements, and you realize they're not very good life. It actually hurt my ears. The team <laughs> sucks. You know, I was a big Bo Jackson fan when I was little. And he was on the Chicago White Sox towards the latter, latter part of his career. And uh, they were playing the Angels. I was like, Dad, we got to go to this game. we got to go to this game. I, you know, this is like my childhood idol. Go to the game, he strikes out four times. He's slow as heck. You know, he's all fat by that time. I'm like, oh. A little disappointed. He was good. You know, your, your hero ends up being a jerk. <laughs> you know, you go home and he's a jerk. The anticipation and the innate desire and longing to idolize someone or something are echoes of the truth that there is one that can fully and even more abundantly exceed any and all your anticipations. That there is one who is truly worthy to be idolized, to be worshipped. You were indeed created for His glory, to find in Him the realization of all your anticipation for something great, something beautiful, something glorious, never, ever, ever to be disappointed. You know, we look forward to the Super Bowl, desperately wanting it to be a great game. It might not be. Does that mean you throw out the anticipation? No, my point is the anticipation is an echo of eternity. The fact that you look forward to something great, that you want to be a part of something great, that you want to see something great, it's an echo. And its origin is that it's meant to be realized in God. He'll never disappoint. He'll never turn out to be a 45-3 blowout with Eli Manning getting hurt in the first play of the game. It's never going to be like that with God. He's going to fully and exceedingly fulfill our anticipation. This passage also cries out that God is gracious. He's richly gracious, gloriously gracious. Oh, how we all long to be forgiven. How we all long to be justified. How we all long to be treated with love. This is why there are tomes and tomes of books singly devoted to curing mankind of guilt. Offering forgiveness in the form of self-love, self-forgiveness, enlightened meditation, living a good and moral life, giving to the community, forgetting the past and moving on. There's books, scores of books written to relieve man of guilt. We all long to be forgiven. All of us have experienced the debilitating psychological effects of carrying around guilt, right? The weight of having wronged someone. It can be as small as regret for saying something hurtful to a friend. You know, and it stays with you. You're like, I should have said that. Why did I say that? What if I really hurt the person? Or it can be as big as the guilt that comes with killing someone. 
And I hope to a certain measure that all of us have experienced the freedom that comes, comes along with being forgiven. Right? The next day your friend calls and says, you know what? I forgive you. Or it's okay. And it's like a load off your shoulders. You feel good. There's some kind of peace. The load instantly lifted. Relationships wonderfully rekindled. And peace of mind restored. Yet, there is still the stains of wrong committed. Seldom do people truly and entirely forget those harsh words that were spoken. Seldom is there complete forgiveness in this world. And as wonderfully rekindled your friendship may be, there is still that shadow of wrongs done in the past that looms a shadow over your friendship. It's just complete and utter forgiveness. It's not possible in this life, right? Yeah, I forgive you, but it still looms over your relationship. And we all want, we innately desire a complete forgiveness. Again, I will show you, or I would say, that's an echo of eternity. Again, these are echoes of eternal forgiveness that God offers us. A forgiveness in Christ Jesus that is absolutely, utterly final. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, the Bible tells us. He thrusts our iniquities into the depths of the ocean. Figures of speech, meaning God will absolutely forget, completely forget your wrongs against Him in Christ Jesus. He offers us complete forgiveness. Something we all long for in our everyday experience. In Christ we are offered full, both legal and psychological pardon. In Christ there is no looming guilt to cast a shadow upon our now fully restored relationship with God. So every time you go around with guilt on your shoulder for saying something wrong, for for doing something wrong, and all you want is, is to be forgiven, the freedom of being released from the captivity of guilt. It's an echo of the eternal forgiveness that God offers you in Christ. It cries out. I'm not going to even go into adoption. How we all long to be part of a family. How we all long to be accepted. How we all long in, in, in a deep-seated longing that drives young teenagers to join gangs, that, that, that drives stupid college students to join fraternities and sororities. You know what I'm saying? It's this desire to belong to a group, to a family. Again, echoes. Echoes of eternity, where God offers you adoption into His eternal family forever. Let's move on to God the Son. It says in verse 9, Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 9 through 10 reveals to us the cosmic plan of God. God's ultimate plan is to unite all things in Christ. 
things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, another way of saying that is, is that it is God's cosmic purpose and plan to make Jesus the king of the universe. It has and will always be until it comes to pass God's plan to establish his kingdom with Jesus as king. This is an eternal truth. All of human history, ours included, cries out this eternal purpose of God. Let me explain. From the beginning of human history, men and women look to another to lead. Is this not true? We've always looked to another to guide us, to teach us, to tell us which way to go, to set the moral compass, to set the boundaries, and to show us how to live. Whether it be the wife who looks to the husband to lead, or the children who looks to the parents, or the student who looks to the teachers, or the players who look to the coach, or the subjects who look to the king or queen, or to the tribal members who look to the chief, or to the cooks who look to the executive chef, or to the citizens who look to the government, we have always been inclined to want, to desire, to need leadership. Can't deny it. Now, I've been privileged to experience being part of a sports team with a great head coach. This is my freshman year in high school. There's nothing like a competent, well-spoken, wise, compassionate coach to bring out the best in the players. The players fully trust the game plan, the decision-making, the practices, because they fully trust the coach. In fact, the players thrive under good head coaching. Let me tell you, there's no greater place than that place of security, knowing that the coach has your best interest in mind, knowing that he is competent, knowing that he can lead. You see, we all thrive under good leadership. Trace all the great human achievements of human history, and you would be hard-pressed to find any fruitful period without good leadership. And vice versa. Atrocious deeds things done by humans usually reveal that it was done under atrocious leadership. We all have a deep longing for good leadership because we all innately know that good leadership is a true catalyst for any desirable change. It is in the warm, wise, compassionate, powerful embrace of truly great leadership we find ourselves the most secure and at our best. So whether on the national scale, like the government, or more personal, like the family, we all desire a righteous leader. But we've all experienced the disappointment of failed leadership, right? For every good coach, there's a horrible coach. For every good teacher, there's a bad teacher. Again, the longing and desire are not wrong. But we are inevitably disappointed because we don't look to the eternal origin of that desire, which is Christ, our true King. Read the Gospels. Read how Christ led. Read how patient He was, how tender He was, how righteously authoritative He was, how compassionate He was, how humble He was, how wise He was, how bold He was, how caring He was. He never lorded His leadership over His followers, though He had every right. He always came alongside the follower to guide him patiently, compassionately, leading always by example. 
and leading with love and power. In no other leader will you find such sublime mastery over the balance of love and power. He could powerfully command a storm to be still and with the same breath gently call a child to come and play with him on his lap. And what about the ultimate sacrifice? You know, we always bark and yell about a leader who cares deeply for the people. Christ died on the cross for us. You know, if we were to take a poll of all of human population and ask them, what do you want in a leader? What is your ideal leader? And then we formulated a list. You know what that list would describe? Jesus. Make your own list of what's important in leadership, what you want in a leader. Integrity, honesty, wisdom, love, compassion, authority. You're describing Jesus. There's echoes of it in your heart. Desires in your heart for a leader like Jesus in your life. hope I'm, I'm like trying to make some connections between who you are and the truths of scripture it's consistent it's just that you get lost in the hustle and bustle of life that you don't look more deeply into who you are how you're wired how you think why you do the things that you do the the the, the source of your desires because if you are consistently looking at those things, examining those things, you will see no discrepancy between what is going on in your heart and what Scriptures tells us. I don't have to prove that you want God. I don't have to prove that you desire and long for God with everything in your soul. It cries out for God. Because that's the way you've been created. We have time for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always gets left out, doesn't he? We, we got to talk about the Holy Spirit. I can't go home with a good conscience without talking about the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. And then there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Up to verse 12, we are told what has happened before the foundation of the world, right? We're told of what Christ has done for us a few thousand years ago, a couple of thousands of years ago. It's all hearsay up to this point. Almost an eternal rumor that there is a God who has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That Christ died for us 2,000 years ago. But what makes it real to us today? What establishes this rumor of God's grace as truth in our hearts? What gives me the internal assurance that I really have been chosen by God before the foundations of the world? What gives me the internal assurance that Christ's blood has really cleansed me of all my sins? What proof do I have that all this is true? Isn't that the end-all question? How do you know this is true? What assurance do I have that I have discovered the source of all the echoes that reverberate throughout my heart? 
The answer is right there for us in verse 13 and 14. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Old Testament records or chronicles God the Father's interaction with the world, right? That's what you read in the Old Testament. The majority of the New Testament is about Christ, the second person of the Trinity, interacting with the world. We see him walking. We see him talking to people. He walked this earth. Well, what about our era? What about our time? Right now? Is God just not involved? We, I can safely say, are living in the era of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit seals God's word, God's promise. Now, seal is very significant in ancient times. Let's say you wanted to close a door to the public. You close it, put a seal on it, stamp it with the king's insignia. If anyone broke that seal, you'd be killed. That's pretty dang secure, right? It's just a seal on the door with the king's insignia. You can't go into it. That's the same seal that Pilate put on the the tomb of Jesus, you, you can't break it. In the same sense, the Holy Spirit in us is God sealing us. Mine cannot intrude, cannot take away. You cannot break God's seal. Another reason for seals were to prove ownership, right? And we do this all the time today too. You you buy a house. It's not final until you sign it, and it's yours. Same sense, when God seals us with the Holy Spirit, He's signing it. Mine. It also speaks of... What else does it speak of? Let me go back to my notes. Okay, it also authenticates that it's from God. You know, you write a letter, sign it, it proves that this letter is from the person who signed it. So basically the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to speak within your heart's security, affirmation of all these truths. Is it coincidence that people are the most prone to doubt? We doubt, we doubt, we doubt. We constantly need to hear affirmation. We constantly need to be told we're safe. We're okay. It's okay. You're right. You're, you're doing things right. You're, you're loved. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes and He offers us confirmation, affirmation, security. Ah, the Holy Spirit always gets shysted. He's God. <laughs> we must give Him praise. Is the fact that any of this makes sense to us? The fact that I hope to God you finally begin to realize all these echoes in your hearts finds their source in God? You see, God doesn't leave us lost in the cave to figure out our own way out. He sends a helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit who guides all these truths, right? in the mixture of all the other truths that you are bombarded with day in and day out, he takes these truths of God and he plants it into our hearts. He takes us by the hand 
He's going to lead us out of the cave and take us to the source. That's the ministry of the Spirit. If only God would grant us the grace to hear and understand that He is the substance of all of the shadows, that He is the source of all the echoes, that He is the only one who satisfies our longings and desires. And I believe we too would join Paul in this exuberant praise. May God grant us this understanding. Read Ephesians 1, 3-14. And I pray as you think about these things, you and I will begin to see how could a man be so excited to speak of these truths? It's because in these truths, he has found the eternal source of this. His entire being, his, his soul has been crying out for it. And he's found it in God, in Christ, in the Spirit. That may have gone over a lot of our heads. I may still be thinking about what I said. Um, but in the least, I hope you begin to realize your lives are consistent with the truths of Scripture. And God willing, by His grace, the connections will be made more clear. And you'll experience a more rapturous vision of who God is. And we'll live pleasurably enjoying Him and glorifying Him. Let's pray.